Friends, it is the most human thing in the world to wonder what happens to us after we die. Science seemed to suggest that we cease to exist. Philosophy suggests that we become one with the universe. Every religion in the world suggests that we continue to live somewhere forever. But I wonder what the Bible teaches about what happens to us after we die. What does the Bible teach? Well, in 1689, the Baptists in London, along with years earlier, the Presbyterians, who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith, summarized the Bible's answer about what happens to us after we die this way. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are returned to paradise where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. Well, for many years, even though I was trusting Christ to save me from my sins, even though as a Christian I had the promise of heaven, I didn't look forward to it at all. In my understanding, heaven was a, I don't know, a fluffy, cloudy, ethereal place far, far away where where we'd spend eternity as disembodied spirits doing, I'm not sure what, but I know there was a lot of singing (laughs) and apparently harps. The older people in my church seemed to look forward to heaven. They sang about it. When they sang about it, their faces seemed to light up. They talked about it often, but not me. I'm just being honest with you this morning when I say the truth is, I was really glad that I wasn't going to hell, but I was not looking forward to going to heaven at all. In fact, I was pretty anxious about it. But friends, all of that has changed for me. All of that has changed because I have come to understand over years portions of Scripture like our sermon text today. And my prayer this morning as we study this text is for two different kinds of people in this room. 
Uh, First of all, for those of you who are Christians, my prayer is that what we learn today will cause you to glorify God in this life and genuinely look forward to the next. And then, friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, thank you so much for being here today. But my prayer this morning for you is that what you hear today will cause you to trust Jesus Christ, the good news of the resurrection of Christ that will guarantee your eternity with him. So let's read our sermon text. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this morning we're in our fourth sermon in this particular chapter and our 30-something sermon in 1 Corinthians as a whole. We've been studying this for a while now. We only have a couple left. But our text this this morning is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 35 through 49. So, you follow along as I read this aloud. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Verse 39. Not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 45. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, 
so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Friends, that's God's word. Amen indeed. Paul's big point here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 through 39 is pretty simple. It is that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the bodily resurrection of all who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, before we go any farther in this text, we need to understand what Paul is talking about here when he talks about, quote, the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. What happens when Christians die? Well, generally, the Bible describes two periods after death. That might seem odd to you, but... If you look back at the confessions of faith and the theologies over the years that have been um, faithful to Scripture, we understand that Christians describe two periods that come after death. First of all, one that's called the intermediate state. Immediately after death, Christians immediately go to, quote, be with Christ in paradise or in what we would call heaven. And they're there until he returns. For example, do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and the two criminals were hanging beside him and the one was railing against him and the other said, leave him alone? Uh, and he expressed what seems to be faith in Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say to that criminal? Jesus said, truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Paul speaks about what happens immediately after death. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us that he was granted a vision of paradise, a vision of what we would call heaven. He says that he was caught up into paradise, and he says whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, and he says that I heard things that cannot be told. But he calls it paradise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul also says that when we're away from this body, we are immediately, quote, with the Lord. And then in Philippians, while he was in jail, he was writing back to the church at Philippi, and he says, look, don't worry about me. I know I'm in jail right now, and I have a lot of things here to do on earth, but the truth is, my desire is to depart, to be with Christ, and I love this next phrase, for that is far better. What Paul's talking about there, what Jesus was talking about there, was what happens immediately when the spirit is separated from the body, the body goes into the ground, and the spirit goes to be with Christ for Christians. Well, theologians talk about that as an intermediate state because the Bible says that there's something that comes 
next. It is called the resurrection of the dead. You might think of it as life after, life after death. It's called the eternal state instead of the intermediate state. How long does the intermediate state last? Well, our sermon text today and last week tells us that this second eternal state begins, the resurrection of the dead begins when? Do you remember? At the coming of Christ. Look back in chapter 15, verse 23. The resurrection of the dead or the eternal state where we will truly be forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Paul says, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he, Christ, delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. At the coming of Christ, death dies. Death is no more. The entire cosmos is rid of the great enemy, death. And eternity begins, we might say. Well, this eternal state, the resurrection of the dead, this life after life after death, the eternal state, is what Logan read about earlier. Revelation 21 and 22 speaks of it as a new heavens and new earth. It is the final and eternal place where God dwells with men again. John the Revelator said, When I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, fro- from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And the entire Bible ends with Jesus saying, Surely I am coming soon. And then what does the writer of Revelation say? Come Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Look, friends, this this might be elementary to you. This might be simple, Christian kindergarten kind of stuff. But this was revolutionary for me. Heaven is not our eternal home. The new heavens and the new earth 
are our eternal home. Eternity with God is not fluffy, cloudy, far, far away, disembodied spirits. Eternity with God is in His new heavens and new earth, solid, familiar, here, physical bodies in a physical world, a city, a garden, trees, rivers, fruit, people, and King Jesus reigning in righteousness and peace from his throne forever. Salvation is not going to heaven, but being raised to life in God's new heavens and new earth, says one writer. And he goes on to say, we're saved not as souls, but as wholes. Revolutionary for me. So the big question that Paul is answering in our sermon text today is what kind of bodies, what kind of bodies will people have when the dead are raised to life in God's eternal kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth? What kind of bodies? And from Paul's answer here in this text, we're going to learn three lessons about our resurrection bodies. It's fascinating. Look with me. What kind of bodies will people have when the dead are raised to life in the eternal kingdom of God? Well, lesson number one, resurrection bodies will maintain some continuity with our natural bodies, but they will be recreated in a form that is beyond our comprehension. (laughs) Okay, the resurrection bodies, the eternal physical body for a new physical world, the new heavens and new earth, what are they going to be like? First of all, verse 35 through 38 teaches us that our resurrection bodies are going to maintain some continuity with these bodies right here, right now. But, They're going to be recreated in an astonishing way. That's just beyond our comprehension. Mind-blowing. Look at verse 35 through 38 again. Paul uses the example of a seed. Someone's going to ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow, talking about a seed, think about a seed like a wheat seed or a uh, barley seed or a watermelon seed or an acorn. What you sow is not the body it is to be. It's just a, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. So Paul says, 
Think about a seed. The seed is what? Sown. Then what happens to the seed? It dies. It bursts open. And then it becomes something else. It's transformed. Just like a seed. Listen to this. Death is a necessary part of the equation, but it's not the end. Just like a seed, this natural body is, is part of the raw material, but the resurrection body is the full expression. The body that dies... It's not the same body that is raised from the dead. In fact, this body is as much like the resurrection body as an acorn is an oak tree. Friends, we haven't seen anything yet. God says what he has prepared for us Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. It has never entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. John Piper says it's a body recreated in a form beyond our comprehension and experience. How do we know this? How do we know that the resurrection bodies are going to maintain some kind of continuity with our Physical bodies now, or I hesitate, if I say the word physical, please just dismiss it in your mind, because our resurrected bodies are what? They're physical as well. Our natural here and now bodies, our mortal bodies versus our immortal bodies. How do we know that they maintain some kind of continuity, but are amazingly different? We know that because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the pattern. It proves what we will be like in the resurrection. So what do we have? Uh, You could turn there with me if you'd like. Luke chapter 24. um, After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he appeared to his disciples and he did so when they were in a room. In fact, he walked through the wall. Very interesting. Luke 24, 36, as the disciples were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were all startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They weren't expecting this. They're like, "What? We saw you die. We saw you buried. Now you're standing here. What is this? Verse 38, And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Continuity. Identity. Touch me and see. Physical. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy 
and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Why? Because disembodied spirits don't eat fish. Only physical bodies. Even phenomenally glorified, transformed physical bodies can be touched and felt See, Jesus maintained his identity. He had a physical body. He still functioned as a human in a human way, except much, much more. As much as more as, a, as an oak tree than an acorn. Paul wrote about this to the church at Philippi, and he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Lesson number two. Verse 38 through 44 teaches us lesson number two. What kind of bodies will people have when the dead are raised to life in the eternal kingdom of God? Well, resurrection bodies will be designed by God for his eternal kingdom. That's lesson number two. We learned from this text. Resurrection bodies will be designed by God for his eternal kingdom. Just like fish are designed for the water just like birds are designed for the air. We will be designed for an eternal environment, God's eternal kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. Read verse 38 through 44. God gives it a new body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. And then notice what he does. He says God designs different kinds of bodies for different kinds of environments. Look there in verse 39. Different kinds of bodies, like human bodies, like animals, different body, birds, different bodies, fish. I think that order represents a descending order from, of, of complexity. The most complex, the human body, down to the least complex there, the fish. The point is, each body is designed and suited specifically for the env environment in which God has intended that it will live. And friends, the resurrection body will be no different. Just as sure as God created your body to breathe air and walk on land, just as sure as God made a fish's body to thrive in the water and not out, our resurrection body will be made for eternity. These bodies are not made for eternity. Look at verse 40 and 41. 
God gives different glories. So our, our resurrection body is not only different in kind than it is now, but it's also different in glory. And in verse 40 and 41, we see that God says, you know, there's heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, and they all have a different glory, a different brilliance to them. So he points to the sun that is more bright than the the moon and the stars being very far, far away, just a little pinprick. And so you have this, this, again, descending order of brilliance. The sun can't look at it. Moon takes its glory from this. And then the stars very, very far away, but, but still brilliant. The resurrection body is different in glory. What does that mean? It's going to be far more glorious than this body. And aren't we all glad? (laughs) Yeah. Then look at verse 42. Then he applies it specifically. He gets away from his metaphors about all kinds of environments and all kinds of bodies, and he, he gets straight to the point. Verse 42 through 44, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown? What's put into the ground? What is, what is right here, right now, that body that you can touch and feel? It is perishable. But what is raised, the resurrection of the dead, is, what's the word? Imperishable. This body is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And then he just gives this note of confidence. Look at the end of verse 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Paul is shoring up our confidence. You don't have to be anxious about what it's going to be like. Notice that there's a great contrast going on here between the body that we're in now, the mortal body, and the immortal, eternal body. Verse 42, this one's perishable. That means it's subject to corruption. It's, it's under the fall, the curse. Anybody feel the decay of your own body? Yeah. But not the resurrection body. While this one's perishable, the resurrection body is what? Imperishable. It'll last forever. Verse 43a, this body, mortal body, it's sown in dishonor. What does that mean? That means it's brought to shame with age and decay. But not the next one. It will be raised in glory. A greater glory than we know anybody any body here now. Verse 43b. This body is weak. It's limited. It's subject to disease and and disability. But not the resurrection body. It's raised in, what's the word? Power. Verse 44. This body is a natural body made for a natural world. 
But the next resurrection body is a spiritual body in a spiritual world. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were saying that it's a physical body in a physical world. The contrast here is not natural versus spiritual. The contrast here, I mean, the contrast is not physical versus spiritual. The contrast is natural. Paul has already used the word natural multiple times, and it means that which refers to man or everything under the sun, and spiritual is everything that refers to God, that finds its root in God. And so the contrast here is the natural body in this natural fallen world versus the spiritual body that is of God's kingdom. So spiritual isn't like a ghost-like or of no material substance. It means made for the kingdom of God. And we see from the body of Jesus what that body is like. So it is a spiritual body, not a disembodied spirit. Big difference. Well, Paul's point here in lesson number two is that the resurrection body is not a spruced up version of the physical body. The two bodies are totally different. This one is sown, that one is raised. This one's perishable, that one's imperishable. This one is in dishonor, that one's in glory. This one is in weakness, that one's in power. This one is natural, that one is spiritual. Friends, we have a lot to look forward to. Here's how Paul talks about it in the next letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read this very quickly, but I encourage you to take more time with this later if you would. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You see, this second lesson begins in verse 38, and it shows that this is a work of God who designs and created the creator God of heaven and earth is the recreator God of the new heavens and the new earth. And as surely as he gave you a body fit for this earth, he will give you a new body fit for the new kingdom. Praise God for that. Finally, lesson number three. Verse 45 through 49, we learn that resurrection bodies, everything that we've been talking about, Everything that we've been singing about, everything we've been reading about, resurrection bodies will be given to those who belong to the second Adam 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Right? God breathed life into the first man, Adam. The last Adam, which is a name for Jesus Christ, you also see him in verse 47 called the second Adam. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam had to receive life. What does this, the last Adam do? He gives life. Verse 46, it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so are those who are of the man of dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Christ. Resurrection bodies will be given to those who belong to the second Adam the Lord Jesus Christ. We're back to the same thing that Paul has already done in 1 Corinthians 15, namely, representative headship. He sees all of humanity lining up as descendants of one of two Adams, either the first Adam by birth or the second Adam by spiritual birth, by faith. The first Adam by birth, we all get his physical body. We enter into everything that Adam secured for us. What did the first Adam secure for us? Sin, condemnation, and death. Adam got the entire human race kicked out of the garden, the presence of God. And now we're living under the curse of sin and death. All the sons of Adam start out separated from God as sinners. All of us. But the good news is God did not leave us there. God sent his son as the second Adam to rescue the sons of Adam from the curse of sin and death. Just as we are in the first Adam by physical birth, we are in the second Adam by faith. The new birth, a spiritual birth. And so here what we find out is the resurrection bodies, the new heaven and the new earth belongs to King Jesus and all of those who are brought there by King Jesus. I think it's very interesting how he ends, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I was at my family reunion yesterday. I don't know how many people were there, maybe 50 or so. But as I looked around, I recognized we all bear a lot of the same image. We really struggle with a lot of the same things. It's just not that my 
72-year-old brother and I look very, very similar, which means that I look like a 72-year-old man, but we all apparently struggle with the same kind of weight issues, have the same kinds of body types, many have the same features. In fact, my brother's grandson's son was introduced to me. So his great-grandson was introduced to me for the first time. His son brought him to me and said, we think he looks just like you. <laughs> and I thought, he does. <laughs> Why? Lineage. Heritage. The family gene pool, I guess. Friends, we look like the man of dust. We bear his image. The question is, have you been rescued from sin and separation and death by faith and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ so that now you bear the image of the man of heaven, the second and last Adam, who is not one who needs to be given life, but who is the source of life. Jesus says, I am the way, not one of the ways. The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Amen. So we've learned three lessons about the kind of bodies that we're going to have in the new heavens and the new earth so far in this sermon. Let me review. Lesson number one. Our resurrection bodies, they're going to maintain uh, some kind of a continuity with our natural bodies, but they're going to be recreated in a form that's beyond our comprehension. Number two, our resurrection bodies will, will be designed by God for his eternal kingdom. They're raised, they're imperishable, they're glorious, they're powerful, they're immortal bodies fit for an immortal eternal kingdom. Lesson number three. Resurrection bodies will be given to those who belong to the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. So my final question as I conclude this sermon is, what does this truth, this hope about resurrection bodies, other than just filling our minds with more information about what the Bible says versus all other religions or philosophy or science. What does this knowledge, this truth of resurrection bodies do for our lives here and now? How do we apply this to life? I just want to suggest a few. The promise of immortal bodies fit for the new kingdom causes us, number one, to long to be restored to God's presence. It causes us to long to be restored to God's presence in the garden again. Look, when we see the atrocities of evil going on 
all around our world when we struggle against the temptations of sin in our minds and in our hearts, when we experience the effects of the curse in our bodies through disease and disability and death, whether that's in our own bodies or in the bodies of those we love, like a, like a grandson who has double kidney failure, like a mother who's slowly fading into Alzheimer's or a father who has died. When we experience the effects of the curse, we long to be freed from living outside the garden under the curse of sin and death and to be restored to the God of the garden and his kingdom again. God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence again. That can happen right here, right now, spiritually. And it'll change your life. But friends, it is a real, solid, physical promise for the future. And for all of eternity. This promise causes us to long to be restored to God's promise. But to God's presence again. Number two. Because we long for that. Because we're not satisfied and we feel all of that now. Number two. It causes us to trust Christ alone for salvation. There's no other way. We understand that we're all in Adam. By birth. But we're not all in Christ by faith. It causes us to turn away from our sin and our self-governed life and turn to Jesus who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It causes us to come to Christ because this isn't all there is. And what we experience now is incredibly depleted without the real love and joy and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and forever we will experience life in his kingdom. It causes us to trust Christ alone for salvation. So, so non-Christian friend, whoever you are, do you believe this? Do you believe what you're hearing from the Bible about what happens after death? Will you confess Christ today? Will you be baptized in his name as a public profession that I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my hope in this life and the next. We'll see a baptism in the coming months. I hope that you might be part of that. The promise of immortal bodies in the new heavens and new earth causes us to trust God for our future. Number three, trust God for our future. You know what that means? That I went from being anxious about my future to anticipating it. I'm no longer afraid of heaven. When I see what God really says about it, that I'm restored to the presence of God in a in a place that is not ethereal, disembodied, and far, far away, but that actually God comes here and remakes the whole place, including our bodies? Anticipation. Trust God with our future. 
Number four, this promise of immortal bodies in the new kingdom causes us to persevere through suffering. Stop. Are you suffering right now? Are you experiencing physical, mental, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering today? What we just learned, the promise of this new kingdom and new bodies for the new kingdom enables us to be patient with our mortal bodies. When we experience the weakness and mortality of these bodies, whether it's COVID or cancer, we can know that suffering is confined to this life and there is no suffering in the next. And that reality enables us to suffer well here and now, looking to God for our help. It also reminds us that we can have confidence that our Father is sovereign and He is good. And God never wastes a hurt. In fact, God ordains and uses suffering to do things in us and through us that cannot be accomplished without it. If you're suffering today, God is at work in you and or through you. This truth causes us to persevere. Finally, This promise of immortal bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. It causes us to glorify God in these bodies here and now. Look, God has given us a mortal body for this life. Paul's already said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you that you have from God? You're not your own, Christian. You were bought with a price. You ready? So glorify God in your body. Those are our marching orders with this body. Glorify God with this body here and now. How do we do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So how do we glorify our God in our bodies? Now, I suggest in the first place, we take care of them. We live healthy lives here and now. We don't abuse these bodies. We eat well. We sleep well. We exercise. We take care of this body. Why? God gave it to us. God wants to use this body for us to serve him and others here and now. We're not waiting for anything. Number two, not only do we live healthy lives, but we live holy lives. Holy lives. Paul says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and the spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In Romans 6, Paul says, don't use your members, your eyes, your ears, your mind, your hands, your feet. Don't use your tongue as tools 
for evil or unrighteousness or sin, but give yourself to God and be used by God as an instrument for righteousness. That's what we do with these bodies here and now because we have a hope of an immortal body in an eternal kingdom. Now, friends, listen. Salvation is not going to heaven, but it's being raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. And we're not saved just as souls. We're saved as wholes. That guy got it right. So let's glorify God. Here and all the way into eternity. Pray with me, please. Father, my prayer is that you would do the miraculous work of regeneration in every person in the sound of my voice who is not yet a Christian. My prayer is that what they have heard today will cause them to see that Jesus is our only hope in this life and the next, and that they would run to Jesus. They would confess their sin and their need to Jesus, and they would believe today. My prayer for every Christian in the sound of my voice today is that we will glorify you in this life with these bodies, these mortal bodies that you've given us, that we will glorify you whether in suffering and sorrow or whether in happiness and joy that we will glorify you here and now and that we would look forward to your glory in your presence forever. All of this, we praise you because it is made possible to us through the death and resurrection of your Son, your servant, your King, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said...